Sure. You were a runaway? Yeah. Yep. Like you were just a nomad, drifter, rambling man from Vagrant. Just I, a was, <laughs> I lived under bridges and in cars. Oh, my God. Yeah. I yeah. love that, though. Yeah. You know, I, I almost wish that I grew up like that. I, you should have. Well, it, it's a motivator. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, here's my dad. Isn't that kind of badass of an intro? That is totally cool. I love that. Yeah. I thought that was cool. So, guys, this episode, it is just my father, Rob, and I here today on Christmas night. And I'm at the cabin at the Red Roof Inn in South Dakota. And we're just loving life, having a hell of a time spending time with family and all that jazz. Good food. Really good food. Yeah. Just stupid. Ribeye. We got creme de menthe cake here in front of us. We got really good wine. We got old duck hunting pictures in there'll front be, of us. There'll be poop everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> we're just gonna be shitting all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. This is like cable, right? We're allowed to say anything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can unfiltered, <laughs> un- uncensored, uncensored, Midwest, unfiltered. On Midwest Flyways, uncensored. Watch out, everybody! Watch out! Voila! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, we had so much good feedback on when you went on. The podcast last time, Dad, that, um, and I love talking to you, of course, so I figured I'd want to get you back on here, and this is like the perfect opportunity. Cool. cool. We're in your element. Ah. At the cabin. Yes, we are. So. We're in South Dakota, and we're looking at the land of taxes, but we don't have to be in it. AKA Minnesota. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, so, what's interesting, Dad, is that you took me hunting from a very, very young age, at like one and a half. Two and a half. Two and a half. It was two and a half. Yep. And uh, one and a half. One and a half. You couldn't carry your own gun, so that was true. Not acceptable. Right. (laughs) I wasn't allowed. (laughs) (laughs) At two and a half, you could carry your pellet gun. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had enough force to stick the ducks in the eyes with a stick. Exactly. Exactly. So, you told me that you didn't start hunting until you were twenty-seven, right? Um, It was probably even later than that. It might have been thirty. Um, it was after I started to have children. Really? Yeah. Well, when did you have Kristen? 1983, and then 86 was Jamie. So mm. Kristen was in 1983. Well, and what's really interesting to me, too, is you had, th- you had, th- you have three daughters and then me. Mm-hmm. So technically four daughters. Half daughter. Right. Yeah, we have four daughters right. in our family. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you, you took Kristen hunting a lot. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot. Kristen, why, was, Kristen was my first son. Right. Well, why did you why did you take Kristen out so much? Like, because there's a huge stigma even today. Still, a lot of people don't want girls to come with hunting. Mm. And so, like, what what prompted you to take Kristen out so hunting so much? Because there's so many <clears> pictures <throat> of her with a dead fox, or you guys with a dead goose, with your Weatherby Orion. Right. You know, and it's just like me Wait. thinking to my future. It's like if I have a daughter. I'm totally going to bring her hunting just because of how you raised me. Like you took Kristen and all the other daughters who wanted to go hunting. So Kristen. Right. So only Kristen. <laughs> Actually, I took three of you all yeah. the time. Yeah, it was Kristen, Jamie, Joey. Yep. But what made you do that? Well, the biggest reason <clears throat> with Kristen, she was the first kid, independent girl, uh, was early to be on her own. And she took to all the things that I did. 
I would put her in a bobcat. I would put her on the roof with me. Um, she would help me remodel homes that we bought and yeah. build and, and garages and that kind of thing. <clears throat> so Kristen always uh, mitigated or, or navigated towards what I was doing, and she seemed to love it. So I figured, why not also take her hunting, fishing, whatever? It also got me out of the house. Sure, sure. Great deal. Great deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, like, obviously, she's your daughter, so she, like, wants to do whatever you're doing. But, like, when when did you see her, like, really, like, love duck and goose hunting and coyote hunting and fox hunting, like, just varmint hunting in general? I suppose it was probably right away when she got to handle a gun and got her first kill. The look in her eyes was like amazement in a child that she could have that much power. Mm. So it was probably immediately, as soon as she learned, I got her gun, her first gun at eight and a half. Unlike yours, you got your first gun at like four, four. and a half. Yeah, you know? that so, lever action 22. Yeah, yeah, the rifleman. That was so sick. Oh my god! I still love that gun. No doubt. Did you get it back? Is it out of the safe? Uh, I, I don't have it. I should bring that home with me, honestly, with how many coyotes are around my house now. Right. right. But That's anyway, a good coyote gun. It is. <clears throat> so anyhow, so she got her first Ruger... Um, with a scope on it when she was eight and a half. The 22 I, mag? The bolt action yes. 22 mag? Bolt action 22 mag, <sighs> Ruger, lightweight, um, stainless. And I wrapped it up in a newspaper and put it under the tree, and your mom about killed me. <laughs> She's like, I didn't tell her what I was doing. <laughs> so Kristen opened it up, and it's like that, uh, that Christmas story where the little kid gets his red snapper gun. Oh, yeah, Red Rider? Red Rider. Yeah. Kristen opened it up, and Jane turned white. Her mom turned white. Like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) You know what mom was thinking at that time? What? The boo box. Put put you right in the boo box, Dad. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's from the movie Hook. Uh, Oh, okay. Peter Pan with Robin Williams playing Peter Pan. Yeah. That's... I'm sorry. But... (laughs) That's like a staple on our podcast. Whenever anyone fucks up, you press the boo box button. Ah, they go to the boo box. And you were in the boo box after you got Chris in a twenty two mag. Ah, okay. Well, I spent a lot of time in that box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> AKA the doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but like what what um so like you got her into hunting really young, so eight and a half, nine. Yep. And then but it's just it didn't it never seemed weird to me growing up that like girls hunted. Because of Kristen, ah, you know. But then, as I started hunting by myself and with like friends and stuff, right. Case in point, we've got a picture here from oh my gosh, probably nineteen ninety ish, and we had all of the oh Kristen and uh, the Johnson girl and the Coons girls and Jamie. We have a picture of all of them hunting out at the the slough and Barry. <clears throat> And, and did you guys shoot a lot of ducks that day? We did. That's awesome. Yeah, it was stupid. Well, back then, man, you were... I, I never remember a slow day back in those days, like the mid-90s, early 2000s, like that 10-year range from when I was, I don't know, 10 to well, A 15. lot of that's from your ADD. You didn't know where you were anyhow, <laughs> so if there weren't birds flying... You were like eating dirt or, or <laughs> chewing on a stick or something. I mean, your mind was like a hundred different directions. So you wouldn't have known if there was no birds flying. Mm. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> 
So I'm a li- so I'm a little special. You're in the boo box. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the boo box. The boo box. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. No, but we were talking about this the other day. You and I were. Like the flyways have shifted, they keep going further and further west. And what I wanted to talk to you about here today, besides getting women out hunting and like my sister and growing up with girls hunting, because you were always taking girls out in the blind, whether as um, Grady and Adam's wives or um, that doesn't sound good. Well, with them, yeah, they were with Grady okay. and Adam were with <clears throat> no, right. but like you were just always welcome to it. Like, yeah, bring whoever you want out in the duck blind. Like it didn't matter their sex, right? So gender didn't mean anything. No, right? no. Right. But um, the other thing I want to talk about was the flyway shifting and like how it's just so different in the last 10 years. Right. And I just feel like what I've noticed up until four years ago, I'd never shot a widgeon in Minnesota personally. And then the last three years I've shot, you know, 10, three years ago and then 30 two years ago, and then more and more and more since then. Mm. And I don't know what it is, but I noticed that whenever we come out here, there are so many more ducks and geese to play with versus in the metro, the Twin Cities metro. Mm. But when we grew up in Corcoran, like I always shot ducks after school. Right. And now that is not the case. Oh, really? You, you have to really look for them. Huh. To well, yeah, in the, in the old days, <clears throat> they were further west a lot of South Dakota, there, there was a big wave that always went down the Missouri. There was a big wave that went down here, but out west of us also. It started to move west about 30 years ago, I think. Really? But when we had our properties in Minnesota, like in Graceville and then over in Corral. Alberta, mm-hmm. Corral, the flyways were there then, but they also, so many different things matter, like when they drained Marsh Lake. Yeah. Okay, south of here. In Laquaparle. Right. Our water runs to marsh, and they redid that whole thing. I don't mm-hmm. know what they've done to it, but I thought that they either drained it or, or dredged it or whatever or added to it. But I know they've changed a lot of waterways. The other thing that's also changed is what the farmers have done. Yep. The farmers have drained every field. They've gotten rid of every clump of trees. <clears throat> they now farm every inch of acreage. And so they've really changed the landscape around here. You don't have as many, you know, duck holes. Sloughs, prairie potholes, stuff like that. Right, because they want to farm every single acre, every eighth of an acre. They've really changed the landscape, and I imagine that changes the bird's pattern, part of it. Well, I think it changes their their breeding habits for sure. So they're not, like South Dakota and North Dakota are like the duck factory. You know, like that's where the most birds are bred. Uh, and then also in Canada, that's a huge part of it. But like North and South Dakota, I know that they've always held a lot of birds in the springtime to breed. And I mean, you've seen it out here. Right. The amount of ducks flying up and down the lake and then just up by the blacktop, there are so many ducks around in the spring. Yeah. Oh, I it's amazing. Im- I can't imagine what it looked like 30 years ago. Right. Well, what comes up and down this lake in the spring yeah. is staggering. Yeah. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of ducks going up and down. Of every species, too. Of every species. When I look out, you know, since I live on the lake and I get to see it every minute of every day, and we're bird watchers anyhow, mm-hmm. when I watch the birds going back and forth, there's days where I take a video and send it to you because it's just, it's, it's right. unimaginable. And I've posted a couple of those to my Instagram, too, just because they are crazy. Yeah. 
you know, sometimes I mute it because you and Judy are, oh my gosh, the entire time the video's going. <laughs> <laughs> Josie, look at this, oh Josie. <laughs> I can hear the tears streaming down oh, your face. It's just so crazy. It's so beautiful. Oh my God. Oh, Jesus. So. Oh. It's so Rosenberg. <laughs> <laughs> we no. better not start. No, no, no. We can't go full Saul Rosenberg. We can't go Jerky Boys on the podcast. Oh, okay. No, we can, I'm but it will just we'll drain forty five minutes uh, doing the Saul Rosenberg. Ooh. Oh God. Oh, oh. there's warts ooh. on my ass again. Oh <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like. <clears throat> So you you bird hunted a lot back in the day, and you stopped bird hunting right when I got into it pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. I think I was 15 or 16 is when you stopped, and that's when I really was going before school and after school every right. day. In the and what, and what made you stop that? I imagine my, my life schedule at the time. I was so deep in building homes and the construction side of things that I didn't have enough time or nor the effort or the energy and the effort to go duck hunt. That's a lot of work. <clears throat> and when you're self-employed and a home builder building two homes at a time, that's beyond a full-time job. Yeah. And so I would imagine my lifestyle, the changes that I had made, didn't allow time for duck hunting. And would you consider, would you consider duck hunting a young man's game? Like, do you find yourself just finding it harder to go out there? Like, it takes a lot of energy to go out there set up decoys, there's find, no, find where they're at. There's no question it's a young man's sport unless you have a young man around you who does all the work and then you get the benefit. <laughs> that would be incredible. <clears throat> but without that, yeah, it's, it's an awful lot of work. And again, I have a full schedule. I can't fit in every day out here what I like to fit in to begin with. Yeah, We're in South Dakota. There's no rules. There's no laws. Um, there's not enough time. I feel every day till I put my head on the pillow as it is. And so is, uh, do I sound tired? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you look tired too. Thank you. <laughs> but you little rat bastard. Like what, what, um, besides like energy and all that, I remember you telling the story of the Graceville hunt. You mind going into that a little bit? Which one? The one where we got in trouble or the yeah. one where it was snowing? The one that you got in trouble and you ended up like nothing happened from it because you guys weren't doing anything illegal. That one. Yeah. Well, you mind going through that? Well, that was that. I don't know if I told the story about when Tim Grounds was coming out. This goes way back. And at the time, uh, law enforcement was always interested where Tim was. I don't know why. I have no idea. But sure. He came from Illinois and brought some other folks. And we already had the Grady Stevens and, and the Adam Rametas and the Corey Kohlers and woo-woos we had a bunch of people from <laughs> illinois that were guiding for us <clears throat> and so when tim came out it was my job as a maintenance man to get all the properties ready and one of them was in graceville and i had put in a big concrete tank in the ground and i didn't get it ballasted well enough and when i flooded the field we had a crop in the field it was japanese millet right yeah it was millet yeah one of the crops um and when I flooded the field, we had a real good well on the property, flooded it, and the tank rose up, and that was just enough water. The water came close enough to the top of the tank for the DNR to call it a sink box. Mm. And so as we were hunting and just whacking them, 
the DNR came in with AR-15s, dogs, SWAT team, videotape, and they came in with, you know, that G.I. Joe mentality of you're all going to die, you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but right. they were honest like stink on shit. Yeah. Only to turn out that we got a ticket for hunting out of a, a sink box. And they went that hardcore into coming berserk. at you. They went berserk. They had federal agents with too. And I think the reason being because at the time, again, some of the people that Tim hung around with. Uh, they were, were doing some bad stuff. Were maybe not always law abiding. Sure. And so I don't think Tim was bad, but he had a name. And some of the well, people. Well, everyone knew who Tim was. Right. That's Everybody thing. knew Tim Grounds from one side of this country to the other. Well, and when someone like that is so successful in killing birds, they must think that they're doing something illegal. Maybe. Why? That's just my mentality on it. As far as I know, he never got in trouble for anything. That's, that's same here. I don't think he ever did get in trouble, but we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, but it turned out okay, but we still had to go to court. We had to hire lawyers. It's still a nightmare when, when the man thinks you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know the feeling, Joe. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, I hate that feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other big reasons why I slowed down on my duck hunting and went to other, you know, I went to fishing instead. Because if you get in trouble for fishing, you know, you write a check. You got too many fish, you write a check. You know, it's $20 a fish or whatever. If you get in trouble with big game, you're going to jail. They're taking your truck. They're taking your gun. They can come in your house. If you make a mistake waterfowling, it's also like you cut off someone's leg. Right. You know, they, they want to slaughter someone. you. Yeah, you murdered somebody. They want to put you in jail. They want to let the murderers out, but they want to put a, a foul hunter in jail. Right. And take his weapon, take his truck. You know, it just, it got too much for me. Mm. And it seemed like no matter what we did when we were out chasing birds and scouting and get permission and you get to someone's land, all of a sudden it's not really their land. They're just the renter of the land and the owner of the land doesn't want you out there. And he calls the DNR. I got tired of that. Yeah, I absolutely got tired of trying to hunt and have fun and have either the DNR all over you. You know, let me see how many birds you got. Let me see your license. Take off your sunglasses. You know, that yeah. stuff gets old. And fishing, that doesn't happen. That's why I became such an avid fisherman because I rarely got in trouble fishing. Yeah. Even though I did, but <laughs> rarely. Right. <laughs> right. So those are the several reasons that I slowed down on my duck hunting. It is a lot of work. <clears throat> Well, and there's so many laws in hunting. There's so many laws. And it's, I get, I don't want to say I get scared, but I really like to follow laws just because of the stories that you've told me, like the sink box thing. Right. You know? Right. Like, we'd take care of the property. I did it with you. Where we'd go out in the summer, you'd have moist moist soil management, and you have, you had me on the back of the six-wheeler spreading Japanese millet all over the place. There's one of the things... I'm pretty sure you put uh, freshwater shrimp in there as well. And then you, like, control flood the property. In Minnesota, you can't control flood crops. You can't control flood agriculture. Japanese millet is not one of those things. However, you can't flood corn. You can't flood beans. You can't flood... When did they cut uh, out sour ago. mash? Oh long time ago. If it happens gosh. naturally, if it happens naturally, it's okay. Like See what it, I mean? Yeah. That's the thing. And that's why I quit hunting in Minnesota altogether. It's why I live in South Dakota, because you're not allowed to breathe over there. Right. They don't want you breathing in Minnesota. Or if you do breathe, they're going to tax it. <laughs> yeah. Idiocy. Mm -hmm. They've ruined everything in that state. It's why I'm in the state I'm in, the state of mind I'm in. Mm -hmm. 
Give me some more wine. You want some more wine? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, this is the last of this bottle. But Nice. Well, you got some right there. But, yeah, no, I just, you know, it, it, it kind of sucked, though, where, like, because you, you took me duck hunting all the time growing up, and that's how I feel like I know a lot of stuff. But at the same time, I learned a lot by hunting by myself. I learned how, like, oh, okay, you can't just sit on the pallet dock with no camouflage on in the middle of a wooden dock and shoot ducks. <laughs> like, you can't work them into you, you know? Right. But it kind of sucks because when I really got into it, you got out of it. Right. You know? Right. <clears throat> but at the same time, I'm kind of thankful for that because, you know, I was able to learn a lot. Whereas if you were just, like, telling me what was going on, I guarantee you I would have learned less or right. I would have learned a lot slower. Right. You know? Right. For sure. But we have a we have a bunch of pictures in front of us here. And they're a bunch of, like, old hunting pictures. And they're just, like, the coolest things to me. Of, like, you with Stan Goosey. Like, you with, like, seven limits of ducks around your neck. <laughs> you know, here we got a picture of Grady Stevens with a bunch of ducks, it looks like, in the middle of season. A couple of geese in his hands. Where's that? Oh, yeah. That was in Graceville. That was at our hunting slough in Graceville. You know, it's probably a good segue. Um, <clears throat> you said that your job was to, like, maintain the properties. Yeah. So, in Graceville, what was your, what did you do in Graceville? Uh, Graceville was a 29-acre piece of land that we bought from the Hutterites and was unfarmable mm -hmm. for them. It was a low-lying piece of land, 29 acres, had no worth on it, so they were willing to sell it for 1000 an acre back when we bought it, cool. 29 grand. That's cheap. <clears throat> and it couldn't be farmed. And so to put a crop on it and flood it was kind of difficult, but it also bellied up to a drainage ditch. Bellied up to a drainage ditch. And so um, sometimes it was really hard to hunt and really hard to manage. But my job, out of all the different pieces of land we had, we had land in probably three counties out here between Minnesota and South Dakota. And my job was to get them ready for hunt. So all the guys would run the construction company that I had. I would sit out here and maintain the properties and turn them up, plow them, cultivate them, plant them, flood them if they were for waterfowl. Some of them sure. were just for deer. Right. Some of them were for pheasant. It was all over the board, the lands that we had. And so my job was to make sure that when the guys arrived to hunt, that the critters were there waiting for them. Sure. <laughs> well, and you were pretty good at it. Yeah. Sometimes I was successful. Right. Well, I Mother mean, Nature played a huge role. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course it does. Yeah. Like everything, it plays a huge role in waterfowl in general, just how we hunt them. Right. And that was the reason I was able to take you kids out all the time, too, because I, I would spend three, four days a week out in the country, and I would bring at least three of you with to do my chores and then to hunt at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the days where you'd put me out in that field, and you'd be like, hey, I need you to uh, pick rocks all day. <laughs> Here's a couple of sandwiches and three bottles of water, and I'll see you in six hours. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I specifically remember one time you go, hey, the the snakes that shake their tails, they're rattler snakes, and there are a couple out here, so just be careful for them. And I'm like, we're in South Dakota. <laughs> we have rattlesnakes here? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, see you in a couple hours. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, Dad. <laughs> no. 
Watch out for the Black Widow spiders, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was probably the worst part about Graceville because there was water all around there. And so when these spiders ballooned, they'd find the pit. They find the pits like there's like a big mound of dirt surrounded by water all around it. You had three or four pits mm-hmm. at that place. And the tree pit was always the worst. Ah. You'd slide the lids off. You'd take off the, the flat roof rubber. So then it had grass over the pit lids. And then you'd crawl in there with your headlamp and you'd shine it on the inside as you're like getting your shells and your gun ready. And you'd see all of these spider webs and snakes and frogs <laughs> in the pit. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so gross. And you're like, don't worry about it. There's no poisonous spiders here. It's like, <laughs> as like a 10 year old kid, I'm like, this is fucked up, man. <laughs> this scares the shit out of you. You were in spider- the boo box. So. I was 100% <laughs> in yeah. the boo box. The boo box. <laughs> that is the boo box. No that doubt. Is- That's <laughs> where we put bad boys. <laughs> It is all making sense now. Why you took me back, honey? <laughs> you didn't know, but I definitely abused you as a child. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh! Why do you think you're so messed up? Yeah, yeah. Well, you and mom did a really good job on that oh part. Oh god, yeah, yeah. So, dad, when did you like start becoming really successful in killing a lot of birds and waterfowl? Like, what do you think was that thing that? helped you and your crew shoot a lot more birds than you did before? Getting into the right flyways? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think back, you can hunt every day of the season if you want to. Yeah. But if you think back on when you had the most success consistently, it was probably when, aside from the the hurricane we had in Chicago in a cornfield with hundreds of thousands of mallards. It was when we had the lodge in L'Aquaparo, the first lodge, and we leased about 5,000 acres from the farmer out there by the Blue Bridge in L'Aquaparo. Okay. And we had 25 hunters a weekend, every weekend, to pay for that lodge, and we had probably 12 or 15 guides. Pete, Lauren Dorweiler, Wayne Peach, Grady, Adam, Corey, all of them. We had guides from all around the country. We had 25 hunters a weekend, and it was it was pretty hard to always put people on birds. Right. But out at L'Aquaparo, that was part of the fly zone, just like it would gather a quarter million geese every year yeah. on the water. Um, the reason they call it, you know, the lake that speaks, L'Aquaparo, mm. <clears throat> because it was in the fly zone. I honestly believe if you follow the fly zones, you'll do good no matter what. Mm. So I think that's what brought the most success was following where the birds want to come and go from. Sure. So just finding that place where they're dumping out of Canada and following the migration south, that's what, you know, like, okay, so here's a another good question. So what So you what made you guys build that lodge in Lacoparle? Is it because you heard that there were a lot of ducks out there or, or what? Because it was a hot spot. Sure. <clears throat> Because L'Aquaparo was already home to goose hunters that were pass shooting out of blinds up on a hill. Yeah. Uh, the boys, Pete and Lauren, figured that they could pretty easily put together a hunting lodge that they could turn into a Mecca. Yeah. Pete's, you know, big thought at the time was he wanted to have his own little Cabela's store. Yeah. Okay. And so he thought that he could start with a hunting lodge and then end up like Tony Dean with Tony Dean Outdoors. Yeah. And then go from a TV show to having his own Cabela stores, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Carlson stores. 
So they had a vision of grandeur, mm-hmm. but it started in the flyway, and La Quaparo was in the flyway at the time. I don't sure. think it's like that anymore. No, I mean, this area is pretty hot, but there are hotter spots, like where we are right now, and I don't want to say that ah. just because I don't want people to know about it. Oh. But, yeah, and, like, the further west you go from here, the better it gets. Ah. So, and that's what I've found out, but I can't hunt it because I don't have a South Dakota license. I have never won the draw. It sucks. It's a lottery. Waterfowl for South Dakota non-resident is a lottery. Unreal. It sucks. That hurts. But I think that's part of the reason why it's so good. There's not a whole lot of pressure. Right. They don't but let... But there's also water everywhere. True. There's water everywhere. I don't know how many waterways there are on the way south and west. It's unbelievable to the Missouri. Right. Water everywhere. That's yeah. got to be the big draw with agriculture. Yep. Oh, and that's the thing. And I think that's why they've moved out of the Twin Cities so much is because there's less and less agriculture. Right. They're building the, homes. Right. Exactly. Whereas out here, not so much. Right. There's just water and ag. Yep. Water and ag. I think that's the, the recipe. No question. And this is more the Central Flyway than it is the Mississippi Flyway, whereas the Twin Cities Metro is the Mississippi Flyway. Right. So... There's not a whole lot of agriculture along the Mississippi River anymore. Not anymore. Nope. Not a whole lot. Nope. There aren't huge congregation of birds in the Twin Cities anymore. Ah. You know, and if there are, they don't leave. Right. Unless it gets severely cold. Right. So it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, no doubt. And and that's what I've noticed. Like this year in, in specific or in general, this is one of my best duck years that I've ever had. I've absolutely thrashed the duck population this year. Everywhere you've gone? Everywhere I've gone. I've not had a bad duck day. Wow. Like super, super well. Almost all mallards too. I had a couple of days of divers, but almost all mallards. Wow. It's been unbelievable. But then the geese this year have been super difficult. Oh, wow. I have hardly killed any geese this year. I bet you I've killed 100. Do you do your homework and find out what happens up north? Yeah. Yeah, and it's been very warm. Uh It's been very warm up there. Okay, so they don't get on that they first 25-mile-an-hour northwest wind and head down? Nope. Especially when there's no snow on the crops they can eat? Correct. Yeah. They still have open water up there, and they can still see all the food. Oh. And it's Canada. So no one's going up there to hunt them. It's just locals hunting them. Wow. So there's a lot less pressure, for one, and then they've had a lot of warm weather this year. Doesn't the DNR do their homework and take that into account and change up seasons or do nope. a special season? No. No. Wow. Nope. Nope. I've been pushing for a late mallard season in Minnesota. So my buddy, Nick Johnson, who you met that one year here, he, uh, him and I started going to these meetings right before COVID hit. We went to one. It's called MOHA, Minnesota Organization of Hunters and Anglers. And it was in the Capitol building. And it's, like, open to the public. It's There was a senator there. There were congressmen there. And then there was uh, Ducks Unlimited lobbyists there. And everyone was just listening to people's ideas. Now, in that meeting specifically, they were mostly talking about malax and the walleye population on how they should regulate uh, the fish, like how much How fish. they should ruin the fishing? Yeah. yeah, they're really good at that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And there were a couple locals there saying, this is ridiculous. You need to give us more than one walleye a day. This is ridiculous. And so um, we <sighs> went there to propose a late mallard season, just mallards only in a specific section on the Mississippi river. Because now, right now it's what Christmas time. And we got the big push of mallards in a week ago. 
our season closed the weekend of Thanksgiving. Oh wow! For ducks, wow! And it's ridiculous. Every single year they come two weeks after season closes or three to four weeks after season closes, and they are everywhere. Haven't they talked to Al Gore about global warming? Global warming. Good <laughs> God, y'all! <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's it's one of those things where it's like okay. I because I love shooting ducks. It's my favorite thing in the world. But I want to shoot the big, fat, softball size, red legged mallards, and we don't get a chance here in Minnesota. I have to go further south. Mm. It's more money. Right. It's travel time. You have to know someone. All that you can't just go out into your normal spots and shoot them. So you know. But I'm about to go to Kansas. So hopefully it shouldn't matter too much. Oh, you'll whack them down there. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going with Bobby Guy again. Ah. And then uh, the owner of Dive Bomb is going to be there as well. So excited. He's like the coolest dude ever, Dad. Uh, you'll have to meet him sometime. Yeah, I'm sure they bring g- him out here. I, he's, does I'm he like sh- to fish? Uh, I'm sure he does. Oh, then, he's a big fly fisherman. Oh. That's his gig. Okay. And okay. then uh, loves to shoot mallards. So I'm trying to get him out here for Halloween weekend. Ah. Uh, because every year on Halloween, these two lakes, we just crush them. Perform. So well. And they're all migrating, too. So, like, unless you're shouting at them on a duck call and you have a big duck spread, they're not going to come into you. Uh. Every every time we've hunted on the north end of these lakes, uh, we throw out the biggest spread possible, you know, without getting too ridiculous about it and throw out as many spinning wing decoys as we can. But I, what I really want to do, I wanted to do it this year, but with timing and work, with, you know, less work being around because of COVID and all that, I've, I really want to get... You and Judy, my stepmom, out on a really good mallard hunt. Even if I don't get my South Dakota lottery tag for next year, what I want to do is just essentially guide you on the permission that I do have in South Dakota and get you, like, put on a show for you guys and have you shoot some fat greenheads right in your face. No, don't. Either that or you get an out-of-state Minnesota license. Yeah, we could do that, too. Super. Super. Thank you for that one word additive. Appreciate that. <laughs> she walked 38 feet to do that. Super. <laughs> well, Dad, I really appreciate you for coming on here and talking with me again. I know you really hate talking to me because I'm your your fourth daughter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know. Just leave the tip on the table, son. <laughs> I just appreciate you for getting me into this whole thing because I don't know who I'd be as a person if I didn't grow up hunting, you know? Mm. I'd probably be in jail, honestly. I'd you probably have be. way worse habits yep. than going out and every time I drive, constantly looking up into the sky, looking for birds and seeing where they're landing, looking on some sort of a map to see if I can shoot them there or not, and then going and getting permission and all that jazz, you know? So I just wanted to thank you for instilling this ridiculous habit into me. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. But I think that um, you and I need to go hunting more often together. It hasn't really happened too much in the last six, seven years, you know? Right. So get off your ass and come on out into the water with me, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank Love you guys you. for listening. Okay. Be sure to subscribe on everything. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. YouTube, everything, parlor, blah, blah, blah. Thanks again.